everybody is fundamentally the ultimate reality, the self, the deep down basic whatever there is, and you're all that, only you're pretending you're not. Who we are is not this physical body that we're in that is here for a moment and gone. Who we are is this infinite intelligence, and we forget that. The same intelligence that, is, that created this infinite universe that never ends is you. And those of us seeking a way to transform life, to capture fulfillment in every now moment, to redefine our reality to live this life to its fullest. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question every single day. Are you living or are you killing time? What's going on, everybody? In today's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Walt McKinley to the show. I have connected with Walt over the past few months and I've watched his transformation explode and we've been on a few, uh, quite a few clubhouse rooms together, um, being a part of Evolve Mastery, the Power Circle, and Walt, Walt hosts a Trauma to Triumph room on a weekly basis on Clubhouse and he has an absolutely amazing story so I definitely had to feature him on an episode uh, Walt's story begins with being a former Navy intelligence officer, and then he went into the corporate world, and eventually he's made his way into the self-development circuit where he's using his own trauma to triumph story and his journey to help others, and that kicks off with his upcoming book, Monsters in My House, which is coming out February 22nd, 2022. Walt, welcome to the show, my man. Heath, what's up, brother? It's good to see you. Thank you for having me on the show. I know we've been talking about it for a while, so it's finally good to be in-house, getting it done, um, and letting your audience kind of hear this story and this inspiration of what we're going to talk about today. So, so just thank you for having me on here. I know there's some amazing healing work we can do together. Yes, sir. I'm glad to feature your story. I mean, I've heard so much about the things that you've brought to the table, and I've watched your transformation. I know you're being mentored by my good friend, Princeton Clark, and I've just seen a lot of the transformation you've already had, and you've got the the skills and everything of a seasoned veteran who's in all of this, and to, to just kind of find out that this is a beginning of this portion of your journey is quite amazing, and the story that you have is, is perfect to feature for a show like this, so I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks, brother. So I always ask a very uh, predictable question of everybody who comes on the show, but what does it mean to live your best life according to Walt McKinley? Well, you know, uh, I know we're going to get into the story, but I think about different moments in my life when maybe I felt like I was living my best life, um, especially coming from where I came from and having the success I've had in my family and in corporate America. But really, I didn't know what truly living my best life was until I left corporate America nine months ago to allow my vision for what I saw for my life um, to move to what God's purpose really was for my life. And that's um, speaking about um, traumatic experiences, letting people know their history doesn't define their legacy um, and where they start doesn't have to be where they finish. And so it's amazing to me to think there's like 15 or 20% of joy I didn't even realize I was, realize I was missing out on until I stepped into what I'm doing now and I'm speaking and the book launch is here. I just had the, uh, the author proof I got over the weekend and approved that. So now I know what it's really like to step into that 
next phase of what my life is and what I've been preparing for to do my entire life um, and then being the happiest I've been um, in the 45 years I've been on this earth. So it, it must be pretty exciting, though, to see your own book in print, though, right? I mean, getting that in your hands must be an awesome feeling. It was. I did a live um, this weekend on it. I didn't open it. People got to see the authentic me opening that. I even shook it upside down to show people that I didn't open it and cut it open. And I looked at it and I, I you know, there's like 40 people on this live I'm doing. And I, I kind of just soaked it in for just a second. And, you know, it was really cool for me. It was not only that moment being special for me. But I look over and I have two daughters and my 17-year-old was working, but my 15-year-old was home and she's balling and she's just so proud of her dad. Um, and my, my wife, who this book wouldn't have happened with without, she was like, you have to write your story. I've been telling you this for years. Let's just leave corporate America and go for it. And so it's like this thought nine months ago before I left corporate America to seeing it come full circle and be hardcover in my hand with pages and opening it up with the artwork. It was just a beautiful moment. And people asked me some pretty awesome questions during that live, got me teary eyed in there. And then every time I looked at my daughter and she was crying, I just, just had that dad moment. So proud. And um, it was really life changing in a way to say, wow, I've never written a book, but now I'm an author. It's, it's, it's something to be proud of, man, especially knowing your story and knowing everything that you've packed into this book and how much heart and soul has gone into it. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to get my hands on it at some point soon. Um, so let's, let's dive in, you know, let's, let's share with everybody where your recent past has gotten you because just that part of being able to leave a career path that, you know, people feel, find themselves on a certain trajectory and a lot of the time it's hard to get themselves out of that and they get stuck in the mundane, they get stuck in the place that people are telling them that they're supposed to be, that they have to be, they have to pick career paths and stick to it. And, you know, maybe you get to live your life when you retire someday. And it's a big step. It's a big step to move away from that. We talk about yeah. that a lot on the show. And here you are embodying it and you're living it. And, you know, just just stepping away from those things is one thing, but then stepping into what you're doing uh, now with your book and everything, that's a whole separate a whole separate thing to step into right. your dreams, to step away from those paths and completely into your dreams. Tell us what that process was like. Yeah, so what I... Got out of my childhood, went to adulthood. I joined the Navy, uh, started enlisted, became an intelligence officer. So I've had a lot of career success there for two decades. I left the Navy because I felt like at 20 years when I retired and I said, there's just more. There, there's more. And I don't want to go into government service because I want my work ethic and my deliverables and what I offer and my leadership to really compound to propel my career in the next phase of what I'm doing. And all of us, I think, at some point or another have picked what the society tells us to stay in this box of success, right? And we're in this box of success doing what we think we should do, climbing up the corporate ladder, went into corporate America, was promoted three times in four years, um, was working for a Fortune 300 company on the cusp of another promotion. Um, and it was like these doors started to shut, these doors that I thought I should have been walking through. And I'm a pretty vulnerable, transparent guy because I think, you know, so I'm going to tell a little bit about this journey that I was on because I think people need to understand speaking your truth and having that vulnerability to those moments when we're living in this quiet desperation is really important. And so from the outside looking in, I've been married 22 years with my wife, 25. I've got two teenage daughters making tons of money in corporate America. I should be happy. I should feel fulfilled. And I, I'm sitting here in this moment. And I can tell I'm just getting edgier every day because COVID tripled our work 
at the company I worked for because the PPP loans, it's a whole process, right? Triple the amount of work that we had with the same amount of people. And so I went from, you know, eight, nine, 10 hour days to 12 to 14 hour days. I'm working from home. There's no separation between home and work. And instead of being able to lead and develop high-performing teams and what my jam is and what I get really excited about as people, it's KPIs, metrics, and I've got um, a boss who had got promoted, so she wasn't involved in the day-to-day. They didn't hire a director because they had to wait to make sure that we had enough revenue coming in to pay for more people. So I'm literally doing three people's jobs. There's three people in the role that I was doing by myself when I left. And I'm just pounding through every day. And every day I could feel just my mental health degrading over time. And I I'm, think I'm this amazing leader in those moments for my home and for work. But I started just feeling apathy, especially when it comes to work stuff, because I just never had a time to pour back into myself because it was just like the wild, wild west every day. And, and I'll never forget my wife. She asked me one day, she said, I was kind of frustrated. It was like six o'clock. I had been up since 530 in the morning. I was just hungry and hangry. And she said, and I was like, babe, are you going to start dinner? You know, if you've been together with somebody 25 years and married 22, and that's like your biggest argument, you're doing awesome. Right. So, um, and I was like, ah, I'm just hungry. And just, I'm kind, I'm kind of being an ass really. And just short. And she looks at me and she goes, what's wrong with you? And it just hit me in this moment. He hit me in this moment. And I said, on the outside looking in, everybody would think we have everything by measurable standards is success that society tells us. And I said, babe, I'm not even physically or emotionally tired anymore. I'm tired in the depths of who I am as a human being now. I can't just even comprehend or orate just how tired I am. And I kept trying to push for a couple of days after that, talking to my parent, I have a nervous breakdown. Never had an anxiety attack before. Never had one since. He, this is no joke. I'm talking to her just like I'm talking to you. She's brand new. They finally hired the director into the role. I'm able to give her some stuff to do, but I don't want to overwhelm her. And it was like a flood. My back got tight. My chest started pounding really hard. A flood of just um, like heat is what it felt like. My neck started pulsating out, right? And I said, I got to go. And I slammed the computer shut. And I run in the bathroom and I take two aspirin. And I'm really thinking at this point, I have a, I'm having a heart attack for really, because I never had an anxiety attack or burnout, whatever you want to call it. Tell my wife, I think I need to go to the ER. So no joke, 30 minutes after I took those aspirin, my heart rate was still, I think it was like 192 or 189 over 96 is what it was. And 30 minutes later, so come to find out, it was just burnout. My brain just finally just, the switch finally clicked in there, right? And But I wasn't acknowledging the warning signs along the way. And what I feel like now, what God was doing for me, and whether you, you know, God, spirit, source, whatever you believe in in the universe, for me, it was what God was doing for me as he was closing doors and I wasn't seeing it. And finally, and he don't get tired, he keeps chasing me. Right. And and contrary to what I look like, I could be fast, you know? And so, so he's chasing me and he finally trips me and I fall to my knees. I fall to the ground because he took away the only thing that would have stopped me from pushing through it. And that was what, that was what was right here. And 
And I went to get up. My wife and I really talked about what was next. And I went to get up off the ground and I almost started heading back in the same direction I was in. I felt like he grabbed me and said, no, son, we're going this way now. We ain't going that way anymore. And we made the decision to leave corporate America. And look, guys, for those of you guys listening, it's scary. I I left 80% of my income on the table. But look, I got to tell you guys, when you align in your purpose and that what your passion really is and you stop worrying about staying inside this box of society and what they tell you to do, I have never been happier in my life. The abundance monetarily, some of it's coming. I know a lot of it's coming, but I don't even care about that part. Impacting people, this mission I'm on, creating a movement to take the stigma of trauma away so people can start to share is what I'm passionate about. And turning that that pain that I've been through into passion and stepping into that purpose has really allowed me to live an elevated sense of who I am and increase this level of joy that I've never felt in my entire life. And by the way, I show up as a better husband. I show up as a better father. I show up as a better friend, brother, uncle, all of it, right? Because now I poured into me first, made the decisions to make myself happy. And the way I love everybody around me has profoundly changed and accelerated. It's interesting how you say that, you know, your wife had to say something to you at first. And I see her as your version of the mirror. A lot of people have that you don't realize how much of a mess you might actually be. You think you're put together, you think you look good, you know, you think your hair's done right and everything. And then you go look in the mirror, you're like, man, I'm a mess. She was your mirror in that moment. You know, when you said something about dinner, it was like you didn't realize it. You didn't realize how much of a mess you were starting to become, the unraveling that was happening. And she was your mirror. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a different version of that. You know, some people have it as their dark night of the soul because everything basically gets taken out of their room of life. You know, there's no, there's no lights, there's no pictures, there's no couch. They're left in a blank room with literally a mirror sometimes at that dark night of the soul. And it's different for everybody. Luckily, you know, you had something that was there to, to give you that reflection back. And sometimes that's what it takes. And then, you know, you stepping into the role of, showing people that you can break away from all this stuff. And not only that, you can figure out in the process what my what my passion is, because a lot of people use that as their hang up. Like they'll, they'll stay stuck in that career path because they go, well, I don't know anything else. What else am I supposed to do? You know, what do you want to do? You know, for Walt, what did Walt want to do? Walt wanted to get yes. out there and teach people that the traumas that they go through don't have to be a permanent anchor that just drags them down till they drown. And I'm excited for you to share the next part of your story right. because the the stuff that you went through isn't typically something that people will come back from and still be a functioning member of society. It's a, it's a very rare state because what you've been through is something that a lot of people have a hard time letting go of and now you're there on the other side, and you've been a functioning person for many years, very successful from outward, all outward perspectives, right? And now here you are trying mm-hmm. to teach people that what you've done is possible, and here's the way to go about it. So let's dive into you know what brings you into writing this book that you got coming out in a few weeks. But what is this whole section of Walt's teachings for the world? Where does it stem from? Yeah, it really stems from, um, so I'll talk a little bit about that. I want to mention one more thing about what my wife was for me. She was my safe space. And by the way, I had to have that moment of vulnerability where I said out loud how I was really feeling instead of suffering and 
that that silent despair, right? Um, and and I feel like so many of us do suffer in quiet desperation, and we don't talk about it. So I just want to make sure I edify that point for everybody that's listening. You've got to find somebody who's a safe space for you to share those things. And then the ultimate flux of strength is your vulnerability, especially for men. And that's where women are so powerful compared to men as women are vulnerable. And so that ultimate flex of strength is really your vulnerability. So men, if you're listening out there and you're suffering in silence, like you can show up so much better than you think you actually are by allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And I'll tell you what you find 99 times out of a hundred is nothing but support, nothing but support. So, um, so a little bit about my story, right? Like what kind of catapulted me into writing this book and, you know, so before you actually get started on that part, let's just give anybody who's listening a bit of a trauma, uh, trigger warning that if there if there are certain things that maybe would trigger you as far as um, childhood abuse, some sort of a trauma uh, of that sort, this might be the time that you want to tune out. I like to preempt that. Not very often that we do that, but um, definitely, you know, your story could draw up a lot for people, hopefully in a very positive way. Um, sorry about that, but go no, ahead. No, that's okay. I think that's a good point, right? And and by the way, if you're if the emotion is stirred for those people listening that that decided to continue to stay and listen, it's okay. That emotion stirring, that pain that you feel, and I'm going to talk about running through that, that darkness and running into that light, um, is the first step in taking those next steps that's going to take you to this abundant joy and happiness that those of us who have been through this journey know is on the other side of that pain and despair that we live in because I lived in it. So I know what it's like to truly live in that space. And then I know what it's like to live in this space. So, um, so if, if you're, if you're triggered and you're feeling emotion, it's okay. Just continue to to continue to push through that. And I'm going to talk about some things towards the end of the podcast that helped me that hopefully will help you too. And so, um, but yeah, I, I had, I say a lot of times when I was younger, I would say I have a childhood I can go on Oprah and talk about. And my childhood was really something that nightmares, nightmares were made from, um, honestly. And I'm in the process of trying to get my book made into a movie. So hopefully it's what movies are made of. And, um, and it's really not even about the trauma, guys. Like, I'm going to talk about what that looked like for me. But I want you to focus and think about the triumph that we're going to talk about on the other side of that to show you whether you've been through abuse for five minutes or 15 years like I was. You can change that. And everybody's got to deal with their own emotion that came with the trauma and the abuse or any kind of trauma, really, not just abuse that they went through. So if you're going to compare your story to mine right now, I just want to make this really clear for people. Only compare to say, Walt's just a normal dude. He puts his pants leg on one leg at a time, just like I do. And if that guy can make it through what he went through, that I want to be able to make it through what I went through so I can have that same amount of joy. So I just want to caveat that up yes. front. It's really important, right? So yeah, I, I went through really heinous and torturous abuse um, for the first almost 16 years of my life. And, you know, I moved 14 times in the first 16 years that I can recall. Um, during that time, we would be dropped off on parents' doorsteps. We lived with foster parents. We, um, Parents would kidnap us from one another from school. I remember getting kidnapped from him at California and moving to San Diego, California with a father that I didn't even remember at that age, but the principal told me he was my dad. So, so there was a lot of tumultuousness in general. On top of that, I had a father, a stepmother, a stepfather, um, and foster parents 
who severely abused me. And I, I had things that happened to me, like um, being thrown in basements in the dark for hours at a time. And this was when I was with my stepfather and my mother. And my mother had so much unresolved trauma that she was just in too much pain to even do anything about it. So although she didn't hit me, it was neglect and abandonment and some other stuff there with her. And, right. um, you know, he used to, he thought it was fun to take a werewolf mask. This werewolf mask had white, um, a white weather face and green hair and snarly teeth. And at eight years old, I think most of us are running and jumping over our bed because we think a monster is going to grab us um, from underneath our bed frame. And, you know, I lived in that basement in the dark, afraid of him hitting me and pushing me back down the stairs. And then he would throw this werewolf mask with me down there because he knew it terrified me. And in my eight-year-old imagination, that really came to life in those moments. And, um, you know, I, I could hear it breathing and hear it talking when it was down there. And in those moments, I really had to um, choose between two monsters. You know, the one at the bottom of the stairs that came to life and the one at the top of the stairs that would beat me at any moment in time just for breathing. And so, um, you know, and it didn't stop there. It, it, there was lots of abuse, kicks, slaps, punches, everything. Um, I, I lived with foster parents. There was a lot of abuse there and, and it's pretty graphic. And I talk about it in the book. So I, um, I won't overshare this piece of it, um, but because I, I want to be con conscious of the triggers. But it was very torturous things, not only being chained to beds and locked to closets, but the things that they did to us um, with with splinters and and push. There was a lot of things that happened there that were really torturous. And so, and then living with my father, um, it was the, all the abuse um, every single day, multiple times per week. We could never get away from it. And this isn't can even considering just the emotional abuse and the mental abuse that we went through. This was only the physical nature of it. And, you know, all this culminated the back and forth the whole time and getting beat by every adult that I ever knew in my entire life till I was 13 years old and almost took my life. And wow. this was one of a couple of times that I felt God in my darkest moments. One of them was on the basement floor um, where I was shivering and freezing in the Indiana cold in the dark. And in those moments, God showed up and really helped me keep my sanity. And, but at 13, I'll never forget my father. He, he met this um, woman he was dating. I liked when she was around because he wasn't hitting me if she was there. And we were talking about going to Disneyland. And I'm excited. I'm 13. We don't have food. We've lived in our car before. We've lived on the street. I'm thinking, I don't know how we got money to go to Disneyland, but yes, let's go. And I'll never forget. She walked out of the house and I was told my dad, well, if we're going to leave on Thursday, um, Friday, I don't have practice. So uh, basketball practice, so I could go too. And he goes, well, what makes you think you're going? And I said, I, I don't know. I just thought that I was going to get to go. And he goes, well, I love her and not you. So why would I take you? Wow. And that weekend he left me home at 13 years old by myself. And in that moment, I chose to try to take my own life. And so I'm at home in this apartment by myself and I'm, I'm getting myself courageous enough to, to really take my own life. And, and I remember thinking like all oh, the, 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 the pain that I felt in Indiana, not seeing my mom at this point in my life for four years, 
um, my dad hitting me, my stepmother hitting me and doing things like making me drink scalding hot water where it blistered my lips, like this torturous things that happened to me. And I'm, and I'm angry and I'm, I want them to feel the pain that I feel. And, I, and I'm so pissed. And I'll never forget this moment. I just, and I lathered myself up and I marched into the kitchen and I grabbed a knife and went to the bathroom and stuck my left hand palm up underneath the sink with the water on. I don't even know why I had the water on still to this day, but it's, I just remember this piece of it. And I went to put the knife into my skin and I froze. I couldn't move. I had paralysis. And I, I remember like feeling, I'm trying to, you know, do it. And the knife's just inside my skin and, and, and I couldn't move. And a hand grabbed and I'm by myself. And I hear somebody whisper something and a hand grabs my hand and shakes my hand and makes me drop the knife. I just can't physically hold it. And I felt that same warmth come over me, that same warmth that I felt as an eight-year-old little boy locked in that cold, damp, dark basement that kept me from going insane. And I walked out into the living room and I could feel, and I could still picture this in my head. It was like a, a, a gold helmet came over me and it's like this armor and you know, the old armor is like layered. And that's what I'm imagining. And it's like, I'm floating almost into the living room is what it feels like to me in the moment. And I would need that armor to endure the two and a half, almost three years abuse that I, that I took from that point moving forward. And so I, I stayed with my dad during this time. Still my dad would threaten anybody in my family who tried to help that he would get them for kidnapping if they took me and he would have. And my aunt, who's the youngest sister of eight, my dad's the oldest brother of eight. So she's Heath. She's 24, bro. New baby, newly married, coming to save me. And so she would just show up random and say, I'm going to take my little cousin Brent. I'm going to take Brent to the circus. I wanted to see if Walt wanted to go. And my dad was like, get, get him out of here. I don't want to see his effort face anyway. So he would always let me go. So she's just coming to get me and take me out of there. And I'll never forget one day I called her from the payphone because back in the day, there was no cell phones or pagers at the point, right? I called her from a payphone. I said, he hit me again and it was bad. He had hit me in the face with a cast iron skillet and, and beat me on the floor with a belt until I couldn't stand. And she saw me, my face is really swollen. And she um, goes, we need to do something. I can't take this. Like I can't, I can't live my life knowing that you're going through this. And so she called CPS, Child Protective Services. Now, mind you, this is 30 years ago, right? And so CPS, I think, can still struggle today because they get overwhelmed. But back in the day, it was really different. So she creates a case with the, the caseworker there. And they say, well, we can't remove him from the home until he gets hit after it's reported. So he has to stay there. Wow. And worse yet, they said they were going to send a caseworker to do a health and welfare check. And I'm thinking to myself, Which, what do you think that's yeah, gonna like do? he's going to kill me if he finds out what happened? And I didn't need to wait. Two days later, he punched me in my head twice in front of my friends. Um, I can hear her voice saying, when he hits you again, run, just run. And her love and her courage and her just making it about me and, and, and that I mattered. And she saw me and I was important enough, gave me the courage in that moment to run. And that was the biggest, most transformable day of my whole life. My father was arrested. Six months later, I testified against him in court. 
and he got um, convicted for felony child abuse. And, um, and then I started my healing journey, you know, but love, this is important for people. Love is really what saved me. I went through 16 years of torture, 16 years of just the worst life had to offer thrown at me. And I wouldn't be who I am today sharing this story. Um, God, even when I moved in with her, I stuttered really bad. And I was, if you, if you had flinch all the time, you know, and to be who I am today and be able to love my family and love the people around me and be this change that the world needs with this stigma that, and, and how we sweep things under the rug around childhood trauma, if it wasn't for the love of one person. So she is literally the hero of my life because she took a chance on a broken kid at 24 who was only nine years younger than her with a new family to say, you're good enough. You matter. I love you. And I'm going to do everything I can to help. Amazing, man. I was going to, you know, through the, through the story, I was wondering, I'm like, who is, who's going to rescue him in this whole thing? You know, like what, who who's going to be the one that steps in? Who's going to be the safe space, the safe person, you know, kind of like your wife was at the certain point in your life, you know, who was it going to be? What ended up being the catalyst that got you into going into the Navy? Like what happened after that whole thing came to a close and like, what, what got you on a path where you felt confident enough to, to move into your adult life in something that's as committal and really anxiety producing as going into the military? Like how did that transition happen? Yeah. So it's pretty wild. So I, I, um, played sports and lifted weights. Like once I got out of my dad's house, like that was a way for me to be able to not only protect me, but protect me, but me other people that maybe couldn't protect themselves. So I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to get big. I'm, I'm not going to let anybody do anything like that. Right. And sports was really the physical outlet I needed to, to channel some of that negative energy that I had. Um, and then, and then my aunt, allowed me to give me this space to speak my truth when I was ready to speak different parts of my story. Right. But it's not like I just pow, you're healed because somebody loved you. (laughs) You know, it's like a long time to get better. And and this healing process has been like this. It's never linear. So, um, you know, I I go um, start living my life at at 18 years old. I move out. I want to get my own apartment, go working for um, Pepsi, Cola, building displays, living with one of my buddies end up living in my car for a little while too. And um, there's two things that happened that were really important in part of this process right before I went in the Navy. So see a buddy of mine I haven't seen since high school. You want to do, he's walking up to go into the circle. He was like a fifth or sixth year senior. So he was old enough to buy beer at this point. Um, or maybe he had a fake idea. I don't know, but he was a, a, an older guy than, than I, I was. He realized I was living in my car because I'm at a pay phone to call my grandmother to go over there and get something to eat and shower. And he's like, dude, we got two rooms. Why don't you and Robert each went to rent a room? That'll help us out. And you guys got a place to stay. So I'm like, all right. So this guy, you would never think, this is what I love just about um, spirituality. He works at a Christian bookstore. Um, he goes to church to these, um, you know, young adult groups, but he's total pothead. Um, you know, he's in there to buy a 40. So he's buying beer so we can all drink it and party together. And not this typical right? Christian, but that's what was so amazing about him. But he was so happy, so happy. And we're sitting there and we're hanging out and I'm just looking at him like, man, you're so happy. And inside I had this anger um, and I would lash out at any man that would even just test me. Right. So like, I don't want to hang on to this. I hate it. 
And um, so he, about a weekend, he goes, why don't you guys come to the young adult group at church? Like it's tomorrow night. So I'm like, all right, bro, I'll go. So we go to this young adult group and, you know, whenever you go somewhere like that and you need the message, everything that's said must apply to you. Like that's how I felt at that moment. And so the pastor's talking and I'm just looking at the altar at the time I called them the stairs. I didn't know it was called the altar because I'd never really been at church. So um, I'm looking at him and he's like, break into, break into groups. And by the way, don't go with people, you know, so I couldn't go with my buddy, Robert or Morris. break into this group of six or so. These people go, um, this guy's talking about how he's struggling with anger and pain from childhood. And I, in that moment, I felt so compelled to share. My spirit was stirred and they go, Walt, do you want to share? And I said, you know, I have a lot of things that happen to me in my life and my chin starts quivering right now. I think I'm this tough, badass guy. And there's these girls in the group and I'm trying to impress them. And I'm just wearing this mask all everywhere I go. And I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I start crying. And I just, every time I try to speak, I can't. So they all get up and they put their hands on me. We're all like 19 to 21 years old, put their hands on me and they all pray over me. It's really a special moment. So that the finishes, we get to go up and leave. And I don't know why he, I don't know why we're going to walk out. And I just feel compared, compelled to go to the stairs, the, the altar. It's like a 30 foot wooden, wooden, 30 foot wooden crucifix up there. It's so beautiful. It's a Catholic church. I had been there twice in my whole life when my grandmother took me a couple of times. Um, and I'm like, let's, I just feel like I should go to the stairs. And I said, I just, I have to go do this. And I get down on the altar on my knees and man, I still get like, it gives me the chills. It makes me emotional talking about it now. And I said, God, please help. And that's all I could say. And I cried for like 20 minutes straight without stopping. I mean, I mean, the, the ugly cry, yeah. tears coming out my face, burgers coming out my nose. Like I can't stop crying. And I'll, I'll never forget. It was like all of a sudden it just stopped. Bam. That was it. And I was like, oh, and I stood up and I felt lighter than I'd ever felt. It was like I, I left so much of that point, that that anger that was poisoning my soul right there on that altar that day. And um, and and we left and it's not like that. And then bam, I was and I was awesome. Right. I still had so much work to do. So a few months later, my buddy Robert and I were getting ready to rob this Circle K. We cased it out. We knew when we knew what was going to happen. It was a um, Monday night. He gets a call. We're supposed to rob this on Wednesday. We got ski mask, guns. We got everything. It's going to happen. His mother gets sick out of nowhere, deathly ill. Now this is twenty-seven years ago-ish. She's alive today. She's freaking awesome, um, and she's she's full of life and fun to hang around. So, but they think she's going to die in the hospital. Um, just random sickness. So Robert hitches, hitchhikes on a um, on a semi truck to go Tucson, five hours away from where I live at. Okay, I'm stuck by myself in the apartment now with my own thoughts. I didn't call girls up. I I always had to have people around. Right, that was my mask that came, like made me feel wanted and protected, and all these right. self limiting beliefs and self doubt that perpetrated itself from my abuse. And I was by myself, and I thought, I'm gonna go to prison or get killed. What the hell am I doing? And I called my grandmother. I said, grandma, can I come visit you? 
just wise old Irish woman. She just was amazing. I love her to death. And she was just a champion for me and her grandchildren. And I go visit her and she just knew, you know, them grandmas, they just know. Yeah. And she's like, there's nothing for you good here in Yuma. You need to get out of here and go in the military like the, the rest of my sons did. That's, that's the only thing that's really going to save you. Staying here is not going to do it. And I can still, and I put this in the book, I visualize even the turf that was in there, the wicker furniture that we sat on, I could see it in my mind. And I really get descriptive in the book about this moment too. And she puts her hand on, hand on my hand and she goes, why don't you stay here tonight? And we um, will go to the recruiter station in the morning. I'm like, okay. So my grandma, she'd always feed me like grandmas do. She gets me tea and she brings me a burrito. She's feeding me and wakes me up at eight. And she thinks it's funny because she like comes in or actually it was probably like six 30 more. Comes in, the, comes in the bedroom. Time to get up, recruit. Like she's messing with me. So she's, <laughs> I'm like her. I'm just the 45 year old adult male version. So she drives me to the recruiter station and that's it, bro. So like those moments leading up to that, like that spiritual moment I had, um, be like, reaching out to my grandmother, being vulnerable enough to say, man, I, I, I'm not doing the right thing and I need some guidance right now. And then being courageous enough to make the decision to say, I'm leaving everything I know to go into the Navy. Yep. Even everything I know. And do, do you know what that did to me when I first got to boot camp? I got to, and I miss my family. I miss, I miss being home. I didn't have to see all the places that we moved to that I got abused in. Yeah, I didn't have those reminders of the trauma that I went through growing up in that town. Um, and but most of all, when I drove drove through the gates of Great Lakes, Illinois, which was where Navy boot camp was, I really thought to myself, this is my chance to create the life I've always wanted. Yeah. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows what I've been through. I can just be me. And get to where I want to go in life. And. I made a commitment that day to run as fast as I could into my future. For a long time, I was running from my childhood, but run into my future and create this amazing life that I've managed to create um, by the blessings of God. So um, that kind of got me to the Navy, bro. You know, the story is amazing. Like the, the whole thing up to that point. And the thing is, is, I have such a connection to it because although our paths are drastically different, like I didn't go in the military, but I got into law enforcement at 19 years old and it was a nudge, right? Although, you know, whatever that did to my life, you know, it had did good things and bad things. It changed me from, I guess I'm getting back to more of an authentic version to who I was back then. But anyways, you know, I went through some stuff when I was, when I was younger, saw a lot of, of things that were trauma, you know, ish, but I relate, you know, your story is like you said in the beginning, it's not a comparison of who's had the worst story. It's a relation, right? It's a relation that I, I can kind of look at a version of some of the things that I saw and went through to similar to what you did. Definitely wasn't a hired at, you know, that big of a degree, but then going into the military for you was like what it was for me going into law enforcement. I didn't have a father figure around for a huge chunk of my life. And I felt like going into that path gave me a, a sense of confidence. It helped me seek out a lot of mentors that I otherwise maybe wouldn't have never had that led me to the version that I am now. So I just, your story, when I first heard it, I'm like, I'm listening to it and I'm like, it's amazing in its own. And I look at the parallels and other people, like I've, I've definitely had a chat about you in some of our uh, back channels uh, in Clubhouse. 
and just like how your story inspires some of the other people that we're right in those rooms with, you know, we're sitting there having these conversations while you're going on with your story. Like, wow, man, Walt's really, you know, this story is like pulling me by the heartstrings, you know, which is another reason, one of many why I wanted to feature on the show. But, you know, I just wanted to let you know that your story just very much uh, is a relatable one. It's one that I can definitely uh, plug myself sort of into and relate to the different portions of what you had. Um, but it's an awesome, it's awesome stuff. And you know, and that, that spiritual aha moment is just one also that you don't forget about on top of the fact of the little personal interjections, the people you happen to trip over or the nudge you get to go talk to somebody or pick up the phone and call somebody at that certain time. And those conversations lead to some sort of a bridge or a fork in the road that takes you in a completely different path that if you didn't make that decision that day to call your grandmother, would you have ever gone to the military? If you didn't end up in that place at that time, would you have ever ended up in the Navy? Do you think you would have? No, not at all. Not at all. That was the nudge I needed. Yeah. And you it's know, amazing. It's, it's amazing how those that that little that that subtle thing that you probably never would have even dreamed in a million years was going to have that much of a significant difference in your life turned out to be all the difference, right? It's so purposeful. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the emotion and the tornado of moments when we're struggling, we don't see the grace and the blessings in those moments. And that point that I didn't see it in the moment, but that was a blessing that has allowed me to live in this life that I've created, that God has gifted me from that day moving forward. And by the way, I knew I better not come out that recruiting station and not sign up. Like, my <laughs> my out there. Like, like, I better get it done, you know? And so it was also the nudge to say, you need to get out of here. And two weeks after I signed up, I was gone. Because I knew the longer I stayed in my hometown, the more inclined I was to regress. And I think that's a, such a key for people is make the decision and move and start taking steps forward. Don't overthink what you're going to do. Just take the messy action and go. And you'll find yourself 20 times further ahead than you would have been if you're just stuck thinking about the next move or letting that self-doubt creep in and stop you from doing it. It's that it's that authenticity, you know, if it feels like it's right and you're you're really relating to a deep rooted version of yourself that it just feels good to be that person, mm-hmm. then that's what fires it up. The episode that it's already going to have aired by the time yours comes out is my episode 100. So, and it's about authenticity. It's about, um, you know, authenticity and integrity and how taking the leap to go out and just start this show like that. It was a scary yeah. thing, but it felt right. And the more I've done it, the more that I've connected with people, it's just continued to feel right. And here we are, 100 episodes later, amazing people that I featured all over the place. And, you know, 90 something countries now that are listeners, this is not a place I would have ever imagined. But then when I look at the steps, when I trace them back, kind of like you did, mm-hmm. and you look at the different decisions that you've made, and how good those decisions felt, and how right they just felt, you know that you're on the right track because of it. it despite how it may have felt, moving into it because it might look a little bit scary like standing at the edge of the cliff like that famous mm-hmm. steve harvey uh the jump the jump speech that he talks you ever mm-hmm. hear you ever hear that one so it's like yeah you stand at the edge and you're just wondering but once you go the feeling is exhilarating you know right um but there's nothing like it there's nothing that takes the place of that and I hope most people can understand that, you know, being in the present moment, we talk a lot about being in the moment of now. We read The Power mm-hmm. of Now in the whole first season of the show. 
when you're in those moments and you live more in a rooted moment of now throughout your entire life, you can almost in the moment identify this is likely going to be one of those moments. This particular decision that I'm making right now to do this thing that feels a little scary but right could be that moment you're going to look back on in a couple of years, you know, five years and say that was one of those bridges, you know, but when you're fully mm-hmm. there and you're present in a lot of those moments, it it adds more of a magic to it and it solidifies like, yes, I'm making the right decision, even though it's a little scary. It's it's the right decision. What what prompted you to step away from the corporate America stuff and into this, like what was the, what was the moment that made you decide? Like, you know, you talked about wanting to leave. It was kind of bleeding you dry, but what was it that pushed you in the direction to do this of all things? Because this is scary. This is, this is, you know, kind of terrifying. You never know how many people you're going to end up in front of, which hopefully that, you know, that's a dream for you. You want to end up in front of a lot of people, but (laughs) you know, when you look at what you've gone through, to stand at one point, at any point, I mean, think about what it was that, that time you were in the church and you were in front of those people and mm-hmm. you couldn't even get the words out. How do you go from there to then deciding you're going to make a career path out of standing up in front of as many people as you can to talk about what you couldn't even get out of your mouth that day in church? Yeah, so I think, first of all, it's the understanding that every single time I've ever ran into the fear of the unknown in my life, the net success that's on the other side or the lessons I've learned or whatever it is has made every single moment of overcoming that fear and taking those steps anyways, totally worth it. So I think first, I think it's perspective. And if I think most people, if they look at the perspective, they'll understand that those moments of fear have made that, that moment of triumph so much more amazing than if it would have been easy, right? The hard stuff is what makes life exhilarating. And there, so, so really doing this, comes from something that happened 15 years ago. And so I was an intel officer at, at a large intelligence center inside about 250 sailors that worked for me at the time. And I'm the guy who's given everybody a hard time. Like I, we joked before we even got on here, right? Uh, that's my jam. That's what I do. That's how I connect. If I'm not giving you a hard time, I probably don't like you, which isn't very often. So um, I, I had a, a young sailor that worked for me. And she would give me a hard time before I would give her one, which that's the atmosphere I like to create from a cultural perspective because everybody has fun. And if you're having fun, you win. And she walked past my desk. And the third time I was like, hey, I'm just going to keep walking past my desk this morning without saying even good morning, nothing. And she goes, I'm just not having a good day. So I'm like, oh. So I kind of perk up in my chair and I say, I say, is everything okay? And she goes, no, not really. And I was like, let's, let's go take a walk. So we're walking down the hallways of the um, organization that I work for. And, and I can tell she wants to tell me something, Heath. I can tell she wants to tell me something. And I can feel it. And part of one of the superpowers I have from the trauma I went through is empathy and compassion. And I can literally feel the emotion from somebody else in those moments when they're holding on to pain. She's like, I just had a lot of things happen in my childhood. And she was struggling to tell me. And I was like, you know, so did I. And I shared a couple of little stories with her just to create a safe space in an environment where she would feel comfortable sharing. Because it wasn't about my story. It was really more about helping her. So she proceeds to tell me about some childhood um, trauma that she went through um, and, and some abuse that she went through. And she had an, um, a daughter who was only six months old. And she goes, I'm really struggling with the fact that my mom allowed these men that abused me to stay around. And 
now that I have a daughter, I'm really angry inside. And so I asked her, I said, would you allow me to help you get some help? You know, and we kind of sat and talked for about two hours that day. And um, we got her connected with a young therapist um, on the base. And I allow, I said, hey, go at 10 o'clock once a week. If anybody asks you why, why you're going in the middle of the day, you say, because Lieutenant McKinley said that I could. They don't even need to know what it's for. You just tell them to come talk to me. So that only happened once or twice and then nobody asked about it again. So, um, and I said, because you need to be able to go pick up your daughter on time from daycare at the end of the day. So we go through this process. I can see this change in her. He's like, she, she's growing and she's getting excited and happy. And, and, and we all transfer at different times from commands in the military. So she transfers and like two months later, I transfer. Well, she finds me six months after this. This is about a year after this conversation we had. And she says, she walks in the, the office. I'm in. She's like, Hey, sir. I'm like, Oh my gosh, how are you doing? Oh, it's just so good to see you. And cause I really do love the people that I've had on my teams. That's just how I'm built. And I really care about their development and their personal and professional careers. And she's like, okay, it's my turn to ask you to take a walk. I'm like, all right, let's go take a walk. So I'm like, what are you going to talk to me about? <laughs> and so we go take a walk and we sit at the picnic table outside and we sit there and she, um, you know, I get, I get emotional talking about this too, even though it was 15 years ago, because she changed my life is even as much as she thinks that I helped change hers. And she goes, you know, you're the first man who's ever wanted to help me without expecting anything in return that I've ever met. And she goes, I just want you to know the day that I talked to you, because you recognized that I wasn't doing well. I was going to take my life. She goes, this is, I get emotional talking about, really get emotional talking about this. She goes, I want you to know you saved my life. And I said, I'm never a speechless guy. right? Like, like I, I get, I get, I love being in front of people, love talking to people, love advising people. And I just said, wow. I said, thank you for that. And I said, and thank you for trusting me with just a little piece of your life and allowing me to help you get help. But you know what I realized? This is where she changed my life. I realized in that moment that my story, all these things that I had been through was for a purpose. Because I went through these things, because I worked through these things to get to where I was at, now I was positioned to help people overcome their trauma and really live in happiness and joy in the way that I felt in those moments. She empowered me in that moment to say, it's time to start using my voice and this story that I have to help other people. You said it, right? There's a connection that happens there with people and the empathy is different and the, the understanding is different. And it allows people space to speak their truth in a way that they couldn't with other people. And that's the magic. That's why I'm so thankful for the abuse and the trauma that I've been through as horrific as it was, because it's created who I am today. And it's allowed me to step into this purpose that God has planned for me since the day I was born to go help millions of people heal from their trauma and remove the stigma. And so that was the moment 15 years earlier that I kept talking about and I kept talking about and I kept talking about, even as I tried to be responsible and fit in the box, right? And I've been helping people all those years as I became retired as an able officer, as I went into corporate America and just did really well. But there was that piece of me that I always felt like there was something missing. I knew it. I felt it to the core of my humanity. 
And when I stepped into this purpose, I knew it. That was the box. It was like turning a box and this glowing, like amazing joy and abundance. And this life was waiting for me right there. And it's elevated every single aspect of who I am as a human being. It's amazing to think nine months ago, I just found a different level of who I am because of something that happened 15 years before that. It's it's amazing to think of what the ripple effects are of that. You know, and you're saying a few things, I'm thinking a few things while you're talking about this that, you know, let's let's say that your your ultimate purpose is to go out there and help all the other people that need someone with this message to get out there and a message that's relatable. Like I said, yours was to me. Yeah. All the other people that are out there that are like me that your story is relatable too. Well, for you to be poised to do that, you had to go through what you went through, you know? And granted, you wouldn't want to go through right. it again, but it's become one of the most valuable things that's happened in your life. And the small decision you made to say the words that you said that just got her to stop as you were walking by, she was walking by your desk. That little ripple effect of what you did when that happened ultimately saved a life. And when you you sit and you ponder about that, especially for, you know, for how many years you've had to think about it, you yeah. think about what that did for that person and ultimately what it did for your own life. You had no idea to to realize what that was going to do. You know, I've been in similar mm -hmm. situations where, you know, I won't go into the whole thing, but I've I've saved someone from going over the rail on this bridge. I talked about this in some of our rooms on the Trauma to Triumph rooms. Yeah. I managed to save someone and as I'm waiting for an ambulance to come, you know, I, I guess I was trying to understand why they were trying to go, you know, what was it that brought you here that made you want to do this? And it was no one cares about me, life's not worth living. And I started just randomly listing off all the things I love in life, even, you know, on my my darkest days, I like this, and I like that. And I like that. Well, the person went to the hospital got help. And then I wasn't around when they came back, but they went to my police station and they tried to seek me out months later, and just say, well, he's not here, please give him this card he did something significant for me and I read it and it was from that woman who said like the day you did that and prevented me from making a horrible mistake changed my whole life about how you talked about walking on a beach in bare feet in a really hot summer day and just listening to waves crash. She's like my favorite place to be was Cape Cod, which that's my favorite place to be. And you know, it was just like that ripple effect that took on her life. That was my moment like yours where that happened so long ago. I want to say that was close to what, 2007. So I mean, it was probably close to 15 years ago. And those moments yeah. stick with you forever, you know? And then, you know, sometimes I guess it's like a seed that gets planted or, you know, see, the seed goes into the ground. It's just going to take a while for that to pop out. The purpose of you going through that then was to help you head in the path that you're heading now to help all these other people when the time was right, right when you were ready yes. to step into who that the you know, version of you, that warrior that you're turning into. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's awesome to see those kind of things develop and hear the path that, that goes, you know, people like the path that people go through that leads them to the place they are. Cause it's easy to see where someone like Princeton's coming. You hear him in some of these rooms and he doesn't dive into his story, but you know, he's got this huge story behind him on what led him to where he was. He wasn't just born a great speaker. He wasn't just born a person who just had this skill to relate to people. There's a lot behind it. And a, a lot of the time people don't dig deep enough to figure out what it is that led someone who's amazing to the place that they're at. Usually there is a really long story and a lot of years of hardship and some significant mm -hmm. parts of the story, like the ones you've mentioned so far, uh, that lead to that whole thing. You know, so I guess in in sort of landing the plane on this one, 
you know, it's never too late for somebody to change their trajectory. It's never too late, no matter how much they've gone through, no matter how dark things might seem, you know, but some people have a really hard time letting go of those traumas. It's like, well, you don't know what I've been through. How can you get through this, that, and the other thing? People have gone through some really horrible, tremendous things and seen some pretty horrible stuff. There seems like there's this, sometimes there's such a mindset and such an identification with the trauma that's lasted for so long or was so deep that they hang on to it so much because they are damaged goods beyond repair. What do you have to say to those people who feel like they are those types of people, that they are so damaged that there's nothing that you could say or do to help them get past what they are? They're just going to be this way the rest of their life. And what can you say to teach them contrary to that? Yeah, so I think, first of all, your history doesn't define your legacy. You have a moment every single day every single minute of every day to start taking a step forward. Now, I, I'm going to tell a, a little bit of a story to edify this about my own mother. So my mother, um, who was severely abused as a child, and she didn't deal with her trauma at 66 years old. She has masked her pain by using substances and has been an alcoholic her whole life, her whole entire life. About two months ago, she finally asked me, she goes, how are you really happy? I want to know. And I said, well, mom, I can teach you the keys to that. I did what I teach people, the keys to live an extraordinary life, but I'm not going to do it as your son. I'm going to, I'm going to do it like I would with anybody else. Cause I want, I don't want to hear the becauses and the butts. So if you're really ready, you can't be drinking because you're not going to heal from your pain um, while you're covering up the emotions with alcohol. So this is about two months ago. And we had one or two conversations since then about it. And she calls me probably about a week and a half ago now. And I think today's like 25th or 26th day wow. being sober. And she goes, hey, I have some really exciting news. She goes, I haven't had a drink in 14 days. So I'm blown away. Surpri I'm so surprised. She made the decision. And this is the thing, guys. Like, you've got to make the decision to say, I'm good enough. I'm worthy enough. And whether I got six months, 16 years, or 60 years left. I deserve to be happy and there's time to make yes. that happen. And she, and that's what I told her. And so she's made this decision. Heath. And so she went to the doctor and she said, is there anything that you can give me to make me quit drinking? The doctor said, there's some medication. It's going to make you real sick. If you drink like on your deathbed sick, she's like, give it to me because I, I need to like stop drinking. I can't do it on my own. Um, and she's taking care of her elderly mother. Who's um, really, she's, um, you know, 80 plus years old. So she can't go into a rehab center either. And, and that just doing that, it's not even the medicine. It's the decision she made to move forward. The medicine might help give her extra right. motivation, right? Because what it will do is she doesn't drink. And, and I told my mom and I said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And I said, selfishly as your son, I'm excited about this because you've always wanted to love me a certain way, mom. I was like, but the difference is your capacity to do it in the way that you want to is going to change because all that pain and trauma and that love bucket you, we all got, that's been filling it to 75% capacity. So you can only put 25% of love in there. You're about to take all this 75% and throw it away. 
And when you throw it away, you fill 100% of your bucket with love. And the way that you love everybody else because you loved yourself first is going to change. And and I got, you know, I was talking to her and I started getting really emotional about it. I said, I can't believe it. What a byproduct of this mission that I'm on to share this story that my own mother would start to face her own truth and her pain, knowing that there's light and abundance and joy on the other side of that. And at 66 years old, would have the courage to make the decision to do it. And she always felt like she was too broken. I can't change. This is the way that I am. I can't go into that. You talked to her about trauma. She would, I can't, I, 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 can't, I can't talk and she would just freak out. And she goes, I can't heal if I'm drunk. When you said that, it really mattered to me. And I didn't even say being a drunk. She said that, right? But then she made the decision to move. So it's it's um it's really beautiful. And it's a it's a story about grace and forgiveness for herself, for the mother that she couldn't be. Um, it's a story about a son's forgiveness for his mother. Um, and I told her, I said, I can't wait to be on a stage one day, mom, and bring you up on stage and tell this little bit of story. I said, you don't even need to say that because I, you might want to say something by then, but I know right now you're like, oh my God. I said, but just to tell a little bit of that and then give you a hug and the emotion and the relationships and families that that might heal and help prepare, per- propel. So we don't continue to have hurt people walking around hurting yes. other people. That power and that story could be amazing and life-changing for people because you chose to make a decision to get better. Not because I did, because you chose it. I said, I'm so proud of you. And it's been a it's been a kind of an emotional journey for me because never know my mom to be sober. That was her, that was her jump. That was her get to the edge and jump, because that that must be a scary thing. And you know, that story comes on the heels of me disproving something I said years ago uh, from a very well, much more judgmental version of myself, but that some people are just lost causes. They get to a certain point in their their life that they're just ingrained in a certain way of doing things. And I've had more and more people either in my own awareness or heard stories similar to this where they have been further along in life and made major transformations. So, you know, it doesn't matter, like you said, whether you're, you got six months to go or 60, 60 years, it's it's never too late to shift that because as long as you have life left in you, it's life worth living if you make those changes. So um, mm-hmm. great stuff, man. So let's let's dive into your book as we as we wrap this one up. So your book, your pre-sale starts today. Is that correct? Tomorrow. 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 So yes. February 1st, we're recording this January 31st, 2022. Yes. So February 1st, 2022 is the pre-sale. By the time this airs, uh, that'll already have uh, gone by, but it will still be before the actual release date of the book on February 22nd, 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and just give us a quick recap of, of what this book is going to, to actually be about. Yeah, so this book is the comeback story for the ages. It's about really my story as a kid, just surviving, just trying to stay alive and keep his sanity. And the struggle that I went through as a young man, late teen and um, you know early 20s in my healing journey um, to really show people where you start doesn't have to be where you finish. And, and, and understanding what this comeback and the triumphant looks like. And I will tell you, the book, I go deep. I go into the feelings, the smells, my emotions in this moment and all these moments that I carve out in my life. And it really leaves you at the point where you feel like you could do it too. Because guys, man, when you when you know life happens for you and not to you, 
what you can do in your life will transform everything about it in an extraordinarily good way. And so, um, you know, a lot of people say, so you get to the point of this book and you're kind of on a, on a high, right? Like, oh my gosh, if he could do it, I know I could do it. Let's go. And most people will say, just get over it. Or why can't you move past it? Nobody ever says how to do it. And so what I added in the last chapter of the book was the keys that I use to live an extraordinary life. And I think this is so important because I want people when they feel inspired, I want to give them some tools because this book is for everybody. But for me, I wrote the book for the people who haven't started their journey or the people in the middle that are just tired and maybe they're getting ready to give up to help them continue to move forward. And so I'll talk real quick about the four different things that I, that I discussed in that last chapter because they're important. And I equate not only what it means in the first thing to speak your truth, right? That's the first thing that I teach people that I talk about it. You can't hold it like not letting these things out is poison for your soul. And I don't care what it is. It can be childhood trauma. It could be working your tail off and getting to the point of having a breakdown like I did. This is why I share this to tell people it's okay. And and 99% of the time you're going to get support. And that 1% of the people who might judge me for sharing this story, they're in pain and they're running from their own story. Yes. And so speak your truth. And you know why, Heath? And this is what I love about the Trauma to Triumph for my host on Clubhouse. Um, Wednesdays at, at 1 Eastern Standard Time. It's not just my story. I'm a lighthouse in the dark for some people. It's your story, Heath. It's the other amazing people who've lived triumphantly and creating not a community, but people moving forward with a movement to heal the world. And each person is a lighthouse for somebody else. And when you get enough lighthouses, there's no more darkness. And the world needs some of this instead of this judgmental, divisive world that we're living in. But it all starts with you making a decision to speak your truth. And the second thing I teach people is um, accept your trauma for what it was. I talked to veterans who, I mean, I was a 20-year veteran. I talked to veterans who've been in war and they struggle with PTSD and that trauma that happens there. People who've been divorced, lost children, um, even horrific childhood abuse like me. It doesn't matter what kind of trauma it is. People run and they hide from the uncomfortableness of what it was. And so it's just accepting it for what it was. That's really a black and white thing. Um, because when you, when you don't accept it for what it is and you try to sugarcoat it, you invalidate the emotion that you still need to resolve. You add shame unconsciously to yourself and the emotions you're struggling with by trying to act like it wasn't that bad. Just acknowledge it or, or accept it. And then the next piece is the acknowledgement of the emotions that come with it. And that was hard for me. Yeah, but I'm I'm programmed to be a guy, and my my resilience badge was painted across my chest, and I don't cry, and all this other stuff, and this nobody cares, work harder, alpha male mentality that's so such a farce and far away from what it should be, and that's strength being your vulnerability. So it's really um, you know accepting and knowledge emotions, and then the third thing I teach is forgiveness. And let me tell you, forgiveness for the my stepfather who threw me in that basement was the last thing that I was able to let go of. And I knew it when I saw him in my early 30s when my sister got married. And I was able to shake his hand, tell him congratulations. Because 12 years before I saw him, I thought I was going to go stab him to death. I, that's how angry I really was. And so there was a lot of healing I had to do in there. And I didn't, I didn't tell him I forgave him. I didn't tell anybody I forgave anybody. But, you know, I forgave them for me because my anger was poisoning my soul. And I deserved to be happy. And my wife and my future children at the time, now my teenage daughters, deserved 
a man who was going to treat them well with respect. And the people around me deserved the love and, and what I had to offer because I was able to let take that bucket of pain, take that um, anger and resentment and shame and pull it out, throw it away and fill that back with love. So forgiveness, guys, hear me on this. Forgiveness is about you. It's not letting your abusers off the hook. It's not letting um, somebody, you know, they can go live their best life now because you forgave them. You don't even need to tell anybody. You letting that go so you're not holding on to the pain is for you. And once you've forgiven, you expose these amazing superpowers through trauma, like the grit, the resilience, the compassion, the, the integrity, the like initiative people have who've been through traumas at such an incredibly high level. And the difference is you have these gifts from the moment you go through those hardest, darkest times of your life. You have them. You just don't turn them into superpowers until you, certain pieces of your healing journey are done. And when you've done that, it allows you to connect. And not only you've healed yourself, and by the way, you'll never be 100%, like it's always a process, right? Not only are you allow, you allow yourself to um, respond versus react to triggers in that moment because you've done this work and you have these superpowers. Well, now you can turn around to that pit of, of despair and shame and guilt and struggle that you just made it out of and you can reach your hand down there and you can help somebody else out you could be that lighthouse for that person who needs to hear your story not mine your story for those of you guys listening on here and so don't rob them of the healing that they can have in their life because you're not making a decision to heal yours heal yourself and you will heal people around you which is like it's like another piece of humanity you find within yourself when you do that. And it's, it's, it's almost like you can live this, not that you're better than anybody else, but you live almost like in an elevated spiritual way where, where you just, it feels amazing to know you saved somebody's life. It's not even a compliment. It's like the, like a, such a blessing for humanity. It's, it's like, I can't even describe the feelings and Heath, you know, right. Yeah. Um, I can't even describe the feeling that comes along with that. So those things are waiting for you. So speak your truth, accept what happened to you and acknowledge the emotions, forgiveness. So you can let go of the pain and then expose those superpowers and use those for good. It's all waiting for you on the other side of that decision. And I promise you guys, I promise you, on the other side of that dark tunnel, you think that you're going to go into. It's like in a mountain and it curves, right? Dark tunnel. The other side of that dark tunnel is light and joy and happiness. Heath, you found it. I found it. So many people that come to the Trauma Triumph Room found it. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I talk about this. And I will spend the rest of my life doing this for those people who are waiting to hear this story and the people those people will save because they're going to share theirs too. So I just appreciate you having me on here, brother. Love it, man. That was a great, great breakdown of it all. And congratulations for every, you know, all the success that you've been having with it. I mean, it takes a lot to, to end up where you're at, but it's, it's, uh, it's another thing to move into it and actually incorporate it into your life as, as a place where you're going to help out more people. You know, that's a valiant thing to do. It's, it's enough to just get past the traumas and heal yourself, but then use it to help other people. It's a whole other different phase of it. So congratulations, Walt. You know, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and just like seeing where this is going to come from and everything. How can people connect with you if they're trying to learn more about what you've got going on? They want to reach out to you and connect to you personally. How can they do that? Yeah. So thanks for asking that. I appreciate it. Thank you again for having me on here. I want to say one more thing before we go. And I, I tell people where yeah. to find me. 
Look, guys, I wear this shirt on purpose. Hashtag warrior. You are not a victim from what you went through. You are not even a survivor. If you're standing, if you're listening to this, you made it through 100% of the things you never thought you were going to make it through. You're a fighter. You're a warrior. Continue to use that power from the things that you've been through to propel your life forward. And, and, and looking out that windshield instead of continuing to look in that rearview mirror, I promise you, take that warrior mentality and keep going. Um, so where can you find me? First of all, woo, because a book is so exciting. So um, you can go to www.waltmckinley.com. That's my webpage. Um, and, and you can also go for the book to www.monstersinmyhouse.com. Um, to go pre-order the book, the links will be on there, um, or you can find it even on Amazon. I'm also all over social media on Instagram at Walt McKinley Motivation, on Facebook at Walter McKinley, and then on TikTok at Walt McKinley. Yes, I did jump on TikTok and start sharing a little bit. Um, and then I'm getting ready to create a YouTube channel and stuff. But if you just go to waltmckinley.com, my social links are already on there. Um, we're getting ready to release version 2.0 of the website here in the next month, month and a half. Um, so it's going to be even more robust and have some videos and have a lot of other things on there, um, that we're going to propel and really help people heal into the future. So I'm excited about it. Come join me, join the movement. If you're listening, this is not about just me. It's not even just creating the community. It is literally creating a movement of like-minded individuals who want to live triumphant or are living triumphant. Um, and what we can do for the betterment of our whole entire world for those people waiting to hear us speak and talk about it. Yes. And come find us on Clubhouse. Yes. Every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern, we're on the Trauma to Triumph Room with Evolve Mastery. But come check us out on there where you can have live conversations with Walt and all of the rest of the people that are in our circle. Um, but don't miss out on all the things that Walt has going on. Such an inspirational story that's just getting started. So I'm excited to see where this goes for you, brother. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. And be blessed. You can be a blessing. That's my favorite thing to say. So I love you. And thank you for so much for having me on, man. I really genuinely appreciate you. And for all you listeners out there, I love you guys too. You matter. You're enough. You're a warrior. Let's go get it and look out that windshield of life. Big thanks to my man Walt for stopping by the show and a huge congratulations for reaching number one bestseller status in four categories on Amazon in the pre-sales of his book, Monsters in My House. Go check out everything he has going on at waltmckinley.com and all the social media links as well as the link to his new book will be in the show notes. Walt is such an inspiration of resilience and what happens when you don't let the things in life bring you down and you just keep living. We'll see you next time.